This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And the Egyptians at this time, they were searching from house to house. As they searched, they listened very carefully. Nobody make a word as we walk through this, 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 this little street here listening for the faint cry of a baby so they could kill him. And it was a time in Israel's history when Isaiah, when Hosea, when Hosea described in these words, Hosea 9.13, Hosea 9.13, Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. And that's the way they felt. Why am I having babies? Because my, any male baby is being brought forth to the murderer. That's how they felt. They were bringing forth their children to the Egyptian, Egyptians to murder. No hour was darker for the Jewish people. And Stephen captures that thought and uses it in, in, in his last words before he was martyred in Acts 7, verse 18. Acts 7, verse 18, when Stephen said, speaking about the Pharaoh in Egypt, he said, another king arose which knew not Joseph, the same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. Now that's the scene, and then, and then Stephen goes on in the next verse, verse 27, 20, Acts 7, 20. He says, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. It was in which time Moses was born. Just at the time at the, of the greatest trouble for Israel, Moses was born, just at that time. Just when Satan was projecting the final solution, the ultimate extermination of the Jewish people, God was preparing their rescue. Just when Satan was projecting the end of the Lord Jesus on the cross, God was preparing for his resurrection. Just when Satan was projecting our ultimate destruction, God was preparing for our salvation. Now this baby is born. 
And the mother sees something very unique about her baby. He's not like other babies. We see the mother seeing something very special. It's, I mean, you'd think to yourself, is that really unusual that every Jewish mother should think that their baby is the most special one ever born? But in this case, we're not exactly told what, what it was that she, she, she saw, but she saw something. She says she saw it was goodly and good, good looking, handsome, cute. I don't know, babies. But, um, but, but, but she, she knew that, that, that God had some special purpose in this, in this child. And so it seems she can't describe it, but she sees in her baby. And Scripture uses these very vague words to describe what she saw. But in verse 2, she saw that he was a goodly child. Stephen, in his last words, said, as I mentioned in Acts 7.20, Acts 7.20, which time Moses was born, was exceeding fair. What do these descriptions mean? He was good child. He was a goodly child. He was exceeding fair. It's hard to imagine you know, one baby's cuter than another, I don't know. But there's something she recognized. And, 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 we're, and we're kind of at a loss right now to, to explain what it is. We'll get to heaven and we'll ask her. But as the baby lay there on her breast, she saw something that made her decide, it's worth risking my life for this child. It's worth me risking my life to hide him and not to comply with the king's decree that all male children, Hebrew children, should be, should be killed. And the book of Hebrews goes on and comments about her decision, and it tells us what was really happening when the parents decided to risk their lives, because it says in Hebrews 11, 23, Hebrews 11, 23, it was a matter of, by faith, Moses, when he was born, would hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. Now, we see that the hiding of Moses, it went beyond just natural love. It went beyond like, oh, my baby, I'm not going to let my baby die. It went beyond that it, and because she, it was a matter of faith. It wasn't a faith that dictated to God, God, you must save my baby. I have faith in you that you can do what I tell you to do. It was the other way around. And she shared this belief that in the promise that God gave to Abraham that Israel will live. Live, Israel, live and not don't die, and Pharaoh could not stop God from delivering Israel. And, and, and so, so this was a faith that was tested by time, by time, as all faith is tested by time. That's what tests faith, time. Because it, the time she kept three months, then we know the rest of the story, but really, until he emerges, when does he emerge as the Savior? Well, he tries to 40 years later. That's a failure. And then it's another 40 years. It's 80 years. 80 years go by for the test of faith. But here we see this brave woman, Moses' mother. Oh, how brave she was in to take that decision to hide baby Moses. She's caught. She would have been killed. And she knew that. But she takes the decision. And, they, and even in the midst of they're constantly searching for the baby boys to kill them. And, and, and you don't know who you can trust. You don't know who you can trust. You can't trust everybody. You might be betrayed. Someone might want to gain some favor with the Egyptians. You could be betrayed. But his mother took the position, this position, if I don't risk anything, nothing will happen. That's for sure. And that's true. If I don't take this risk, 
Nothing will happen. So it's important that I take the risk to hide him. You know who she's just like? Esther, another brave woman. Esther, who in order to save her people, decided to take the risk and go into the king, the king who killed anyone who came into him unannounced. But Esther also knew if she didn't do anything, nothing would happen. And so she said to Mordecai in Esther 4.16, Esther 4.16, she said, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, that's the palace, fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night and day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Whoa, what a statement. Hadassah is her name, her Hebrew name, Hadassah. If I perish, I perish. When the, when the state of Israel was formed, when the state of Israel was formed, and they had a, a kind of an underground uh, organization of women who risked their lives by making relationships with the, with, the, with the Arabs and so forth like that, love relationships. But they risked their lives to gather information, to find out where the attacks were gonna come in Israel, to find out where the ammunition was stored, to find out where the, where the planes were. And do you know what they called that organization? Hadassah, after Esther. Because Esther said, if I perish, I perish. And that was the oath that the Jewish women took at that time when they joined beautiful Jewish women who went out and, and purposefully developed relationships. And they took that oath. If I perish, I perish. And this is what this woman, Moses' mother, is taking the oath. If I perish, I perish. But then it finally came down to a point where she couldn't hide him anymore. So she had a plan. And her plan is in verse 3. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch. She's not sure how all this is going to happen or work out. But all she knows is that it's, I can't do this anymore. I cannot help keep them hidden any longer. So she plans to make a watertight little boat. And so she goes to the edge of the river first, and she collects really what are river weeds, thick papyrus, papyrus reeds, bulrushes, reeds, thick. And then she goes and gets some tar. And, and then she sits down. Can you picture this? She sits down and she uses the papyrus weaves to reeve as tight as she can a little boat. Can you see her there? Can you imagine her there sitting there weaving? No, this one's got to be tighter. I'll pull it tighter. There can't be any water that gets into this. And as she's doing this and the little baby's in front of her, she's saying to the little baby, don't worry. I know you can't swim, so I'm going to weave these reeds as tight as I can, and it won't leak, and they're going to carry you away. Maybe it'll carry you to a different continent where you can live and be free and not be killed. And so she weaves, and she weaves, and she weaves, and she's not, and, and, and she's just, and she's not satisfied until it's tightly woven. And then she takes the tar, and she daubs it, and we're told in here, daubs it inside the boat and outside the boat to make sure no water is going to leak in there. And she thinks to herself, I'm going to take the little man down and put him in this basket that I've been weaving by the edge of the river, same place maybe where she collected these river weeds. And as she works on her little boat, and she's tormented with the what ifs, what ifs. And the devil's always got the what ifs, and the what ifs is just pounding on her. What if no one finds him? He'll die from hunger. 
what if he drifts out into the river and he'll either be overturned and drowned or he'll be what a crocodile will say, that was a nice appetizer. Uh, what if he's found by the Egyptian guards who would have taken him out and flung him into the river with all the other babies? But she dispels all these what ifs just like we do as she puts her faith in God and she's really thinking along the lines of Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20, as she says, forget the one ifs, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in, a, in me. She cannot ask. She cannot think of the work of the hovering spirit of God's gonna do, but he does. The spirit of God hovers. And the Spirit of God hovers over Pharaoh's daughter that day and guides this woman what part of the river she should use to take her bath. And the Spirit of God puts into the, hovers over Pharaoh's daughter and puts into her heart a compassion and a bravery to defy her father's order to kill all the babies. And, 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 and the Spirit of God hovers over her this, the princess, and causes her to preserve the life of this little Hebrew baby, and not just any baby, but the deliverer of Israel from Egypt. And causes her, as the Spirit of God's hovering over her, causes her, causes her to pay the mother to care for and nurse the baby. And then after it is delivered to him, causes Pharaoh himself to shelter and train the very Hebrew who will crush him and all of Egypt and deliver the Jewish people from Egypt. How could she ask or think all those things? She didn't know, but she knew that she could commit unto him who is able to do exceedingly above and above about all that she could ever ask or think. And if we, if we did not read this, and did not know the whole history, we couldn't ask it or think it either. We couldn't imagine it, that this would all happen. It's all because of the hovering spirit of Christ. And what we see here is that Moses was, he was immortal. He was immortal until his work was finished. No one could make him die until this work was done, until the time came, finally, in Genesis, I mean, in Deuteronomy 31, 14, Deuteronomy 31, 14, where when his work was finished, the Lord said unto Moses, behold, the days approach that thou must die. Until that time, Moses was immortal. What a comfort that this gives to us as we see how the Spirit of God hovers over and puts a shield around us like he puts a shield around baby Moses. God caused that ark not to be lost in the river weeds. God caused that current of that river to be controlled so that the strength of those river weeds would not let that ark get away into the river. God directed the princess as to the time and the place where she would take her bath. God moved the eyes of that princess to glance in the direction of that ark. God caused baby Moses to cry when she opened the ark. God put compassion in the heart of the, little, of the princess for the little baby. God gave the princess the impulse 
to defy her father who had vowed to kill all the Jewish children. God gave Moses' sister the idea to suggest finding a Jewish nurse to care for the baby. God brought Moses, baby Moses, back to the safety of his mother. God made Moses to be trained in Egypt's palace. She couldn't see any of that. She couldn't see any of that. Finally, the fateful day comes. It's come now. The day when she's going to commit her baby to the river. And she walks to the river, and we can imagine her looking at the scene in front of her. A beautiful sky. I don't know. I imagine there's wind blowing. And it's a beautiful sky. It's a great river. We call it the Nile River. It's not called the Nile River in in the Bible. It's just the river because there's only the river in Egypt. It's the river that's so important because the whole country lives from the river. The Nile flows through Egypt. It's a large river. It's average of two miles wide. It's a very large river. And wherever the river goes, life comes. Life comes into an otherwise desert of death. Egypt is a desert of death, except for the river. The Nile brings the water of life. It brings the water of life for people to drink in the desert of death. It brings the water, it brings life by bringing the fish for the people to eat. It overflows its banks. It makes lush fruits and vegetables to grow in abundance. Egypt is a great country because the Nile, simply called the river, and she sees this river. And she sees the greatness of it. The wind is blowing over it. Maybe there's some small white caps on the water as she's looking out. And she's thinking, what a beautiful river. And then we see these dense flags, these these reeds growing along the edge of the river. And she bends over and she lays the ark down in the reeds by the edge of the river. We can imagine her thinking, what was in her mind at that time? The river has brought life to the desert. I hope somehow this river will bring life to my son as she gently puts the, puts the baby at the river's edge. How could she do that? How could she not go out of her mind? How could, she, how could the mother of Moses put her child into a river's edge and keep her sanity? There's only one way. She had to be talking to God. She had to be talking to God as she did this. She had to say something along the lines of, most see a great river with all its dangers, with its currents that could topple this ark and destroy my baby, crocodiles that could just eat them in a moment. I don't see that. I don't see a river. I'm bending over to put my baby, no, not in the river. I'm bending over to put my baby in the hands of God. And I see myself putting my baby into the hands of God. So she committed her baby to God. as she let go of her baby and trusted God. That's an illustration for each one of us as parents. That what we must do with our children is to look at this mother placing her baby into the hands of God as she put it into the river's edge and say, that's what I will do with my children, each one of them. I'll put them into the hands of God. Just think of how happy she was when his sister brought him back to her again at the command of the daughter, at the command of the princess, and Moses was returned to lie again on her breast. The beauty of this moment was that when she could say, oh God, when I put my baby in the river into your hands, and now I got him back again, it's because you gave him back to me. That's an illustration for us, how we should never, ever, lose the appreciation 
of what we give to the Lord that he will return to us, either directly or indirectly. Faith often receives back from God what is given to God. Now, she returns home, but her daughter stays behind. I'm not even sure she knows her daughter's there. It says there in verse 4, her, her sister, his sister, stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Okay, So Moses' sister, who's Miriam, she's probably about 14 years old, probably around 14 years old. Think of how brave she is. Think of how brave she is to sit there and watch what would happen. She's too curious to return home like Moses' mother, so she stands by to see what's going to happen to her brother. Such an amazing scene here of, of baby Moses in a little waterproof basket among the river weeds. Just think of how different the world history would have been if that little boat had drifted away. <laughs> think of how God accomplishes his purpose, his great works through a baby in an ark precariously floating on a river's edge. This is going to become the great deliverer from Egypt through a baby in a manger where there's no room for him in any inn. This is going to become the great savior of the world, the Messiah, through a man on a cross on a hill called Skull, Calvary. He's going to be the great savior of man. God says yes, because God loves to use little things, small things, that become big things, like the, like the cloud the size of a man's hand. The size of a man's hand. It became a great storm in 1 Kings 18.44. 1 Kings 18.44, it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee, not, stop thee not. God is the God of the little cloud, the size of a man's hand, that becomes a great storm. And what all this teaches us is not to despise the day of small things. That's what it says in Zechariah 4.10, Zechariah 4.10. Who hath despised the day of small things? Just think of this insignificant beginning for this great man Moses, a cradle floating unattended in the river. And now think of the insignificant end also of this great man Moses as he was buried in some unmarked grave on Mount Nebo. He starts out his life unattended in a cradle floating in the river. He ends his life unattended except by God in both cases in an unmarked grave on Mount Nemo. He's the greatest, one of the greatest men who ever lived. That's an illustration. That's an illustration for us of Hebrews 11.36. Hebrews 11.36 says, Others had trial of cruel mockings, scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds, imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, dens, caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. This little phrase, the world was not worthy. They were removed out of the world because God saw that the world wasn't good enough for them. They were better. Okay, now, here comes the princess, and she's coming now to the river to wash herself. And we read in verse 6, and she sees the baby, and she, see, she reads in verse 6, And when she opened it, she saw the baby, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him, and she said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.